0: welcome to the manu Cherry Show. We're live here in Seattle, not skirt weather. I see you don't have your kilt on today.
1: Yeah, I decided to leave it a, in a drawer. <laughs> yeah,
0: Well, that's okay, though. We're in beautiful, gorgeous <laughs> Northwest. How West do you know that? It? You haven't
1: seen me stand up yet.
0: I know, but I see you when I walk in the studio. Ah, dang it. <laughs> You're
1: very observant.
0: I am. I actually am very observant. Nurses typically are. When you walk into a, a patient's hospital room, you have to look at everything. The ivy that's, you know, hanging, um, Across the way, you have to look at uh, the Foley catheter bag. Yeah, okay, that may sound gross, but you do. You, you, your eyes have to look at everything very quickly to um, get some information about mm-hmm. what's happening with the patient. So, yes, I'm very observant. As you should be. Oh, thank you. Thank it's you. Kind of like
1: a hidden tool.
0: It's a hidden tool, yes. I think that what's it, also what helps to make nurses um, intuitive because they look at the whole picture and they have to get information very rapidly. To make um, important decisions. It
1: kind of brings me back. Remember the uh, Kathy Bates movie or Misery or whatever, the role she played? Uh, Oh, yes. yes. Actually, that was a scary shit. Well, the only reason why I bring it up is because remember when the guy she was holding and he had got out of his room (laughs) and she noticed like the one little penguin, I believe, or one little statue (laughs) on the corner that was moved just slightly. That's like me. Right. Unfortunately, because I'll I'll notice wow. something out of the room that's just like like your your cup that's been moved. I'm like, you moved your cup, <laughs> but I can't. I won't remember your birthday.
0: You won't. No, it's really oh. bizarre. Okay, well I'll make sure that my feelings don't get hurt. And um, when March comes around, I think
1: every day should be your birthday. Anyway. Oh, I hard.
0: love that. Yeah, but you don't have to that. count them. Yeah, you don't per have, <laughs> I actually forget how old I am. I know you should. I should. Yeah, I really forget. I'm I, speaking
1: for everyone. For everyone. Should. Yeah, right. I actually
0: always think I'm a year older than I am. And I'm like, oh no, 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 and then I'm like, oh, <laughs> right. I'm younger. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was, I hope for that day soon.
0: <laughs> <laughs> for those thoughts and feelings. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Well, this morning we're interviewing Anne Randolph. Mm-hmm. She is an award-winning, ovation-winning uh, playwright and performer. Um, however, we haven't quite connected yet. As
1: a matter of fact, <gasps> I, I beg to differ. We have I'm contacted connected. with her. Yep, we've got oh, her. Oh, I'm so
0: mm-hmm. excited. So Anne Randolph is a winning playwright and performer. Her multi-character solo show, Squeeze Box, was originally produced by Mel Brooks and the late Anne Bancroft. I can't wait to hear stories about that. And went on to become a critically acclaimed off-Broadway hit. Pretty amazing. Her current solo show, Loveland, is currently playing every weekend in San Francisco, where Randolph was recently awarded Best Solo Performer in San Francisco by the San Francisco Examiner in 2011. Randolph was awarded Best Solo Performer by the LA Weekly for Loveland. As a writer, she has contributed personal essays to NBR, Weekend America, and the BBC, and has also been made numerous TV and film appearances, including the year's Internet Dating with Cat Williams. That'll Ooh. be interesting to talk about. So you are a playwright and an, an actor. How exciting. Yes. Oh, my gosh. How exciting. How long have you been doing that?
2: Uh, my whole life, I think.
0: Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Since you could talk, right?
2: Since I could talk. time well, I found with Kel Burnett. She
0: was oh. like my idol. Was she really? Yes. Uh (laughs) so so we talked about you already of course I read a little bit of your bio before we went live a couple of times when we made our attempts to go live and so your current show is Loveland yes yes Yes. and so tell me a little bit about that
2: that was written in um, 2009 actually as a way to help me do you I, I always like to write with what I'm going through in my own life and it was my dad was dying and my mom had a stroke and started drinking for the first time. Oh
0: fun. <laughs> and
2: uh and I just couldn't imagine. Um just the grief was overwhelming and I was touring with another show at the time but I kept going back home to kind you know, to be the caregiver uh to my family you know, I I've just loved them so much and so Aww. I was there and I just couldn't imagine. Uh, the Overwhelming Grief, so I just started to write about it, and out came this show, Loveland.
0: One. Wow. <laughs>
2: and uh, what I feel is, uh, is that, you know, my mom hasn't died, which is a little morbid. I'm, I'm doing a show every <laughs> night in which she's died, <laughs> and she's not dead yet.
0: <laughs> uh, I actually think that's beautiful. I'm sure she appreciates that, you know, to know that you're spending time with her essence yeah. and your memories of her on a regular basis. Yes. Oh, I think that's beautiful. Lily Tomlin was also one of your uh, greatest role models as well.
2: Yes, she was. Lily was, and I've seen her numerous times, and she's come to see some of my shows,
0: which oh, is Oh, wow. A real honor. Oh, my gosh. So I can only imagine when you're on stage, you are funny. Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> because you love funny women. I mean, women who make us laugh our heads off. I do. I do. I love funny men too. Oh, you do too. Of course, of course, you do. So, what's your favorite part of the Loveland show? Because it's playing every weekend.
2: It's uh, right now. I'm up actually at Esalen and Big Sur teaching, and so I just finished a performance here. Wow. I, I think the favorite. Well, I like playing. There's I play a multitude of characters on the in the show, and my favorite probably is. um, the main one, which is Franny Potts, the kinda like my alter ego who says everything that you want to say about death or people or um expectations. She just lets it rip. So wow. it's a little bit unhooked. <laughs> and uh she also acts out as a coping mechanism for death with sexual fantasies. And- So it's fun acting those out on stage.
0: (laughs) Okay, I wish you were here in the studio right now. No fear there, that's for sure. No fear. That's the subject matter (laughs) we're talking about. Yeah, I wish you were in the studio right now so we could see that. I mean, that's and hear it. I bet people are laughing and crying at the same time during your shows. Yes, that (laughs) happens a lot. Um,
2: And they don't, and the thing that I discovered too is after the show, people coming up to me. And wanting to tell me their own story about their loved ones passing or oh. their loved one being in a nursing home, or so I started doing writing workshops immediately following the show for people to write about their loss
3: Wow, and wow. so that's been like the show runs eighty seventy five minutes and then there's like a brief five minutes, and then the
0: audience comes back if they like, and then they write and then they share. And it's an incredible experience. Oh, it sounds very healing, yes. So, do you think that as a culture, that we j- we just don't get the whole concept of death? Like we're really off,
2: yes,
0: key on this. I yes, do. yes. And so, what what have you decided? Are your perceptions, of, you know, since the passing of um, your mother? Well, um, she hasn't died. Dead. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> was it say it say she was dad your dad. Every night when she <laughs> <laughs> dies, but she's not dead yet. Okay, so, uh, so but your, but your father dad passed. Did, my dad die, so, during
2: the course of writing it, so I I only had time as a playwright to. So I composited both stories into one.
0: Okay. So, right.
2: but I think, um, it's, uh, I, I still struggle with that finding a way to honor or celebrate yeah. rather than just like doom and gloom. Right. All, and people don't talk about it, but I was lucky in my family. We always had a really irreverent sense of humor around death. Wow. Um,
0: where do you think that came from? Cause it's unusual.
2: Um, it's my parents had a, a fantastic sense of humor. Um, like they would, you know, I'm not I'm always joking. You have me in the grave before I'm dead yet. Um, I, what do you want to play at your music, uh, at your funeral? I don't like that song. No, don't get so-and-so to sing that song. drives me crazy. You know, so I'm always open about what would happen mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. memorial or, you know, don't put my ashes next
3: to so-and-so, you know, that
0: kind of. Well, you know what I've told my children because I recently made my will just so that nobody has to fight over what to do with me afterwards. And we have an area here in the Northwest called – it's a hike called um, Mailbox. And it's it's pretty tough. It's challenging. In fact, it's not a real hike. I mean, it's not um, uh, taken care of by the state of Washington. It was a trail created by firefighters for training. Um, And I've hiked it once. I've loved it. I was way prepared. I took ibuprofen before after, so I was (laughs) fine. But I've told my kids that half of the ashes have to be at the top of mailbox. So they're going to have to be in really good shape. I love it. Yeah, so that, uh, you know, because it's this beautiful 360-degree view. And then if they want to visit that half of me, they're going to have to, you know, be in good shape so they can hike up mailbox.
2: They have to haul it up there. That's right. That's great. So you're open then. You're open and
0: talking with them. I look at death as and I've always had a weird perspective about it as as well. I've viewed it all my life and I'm I'm very multi sensory so I can see it in multiple views outside of this dimension as well. And to me it's like a baby shower, you know, it's it's like a birth in a baby shower into a new world, although there's not a vaginal birth, you uh-huh. know, as we leave this world. But there is the equal amount of excite, excitement and partying and planning that occurs even on the other side as we prepare for leaving our bodies. That's beautiful.
2: So, that's really beautiful to put to have
0: that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's gorgeous. It's, mm-hmm. And so I love how you bring this humor because it can be quite funny too. I think death is supposed to be um, a multi-experience. You know, it's, it's very honoring, as you have said. It's probably the most humble experience I've had the pleasure of witnessing many, many times in my life. Um, And and yet, at the same time, why can't it be funny? Why can't it be a little bit funny?
2: Right? You know? Yes, exactly. I I know there's Ram Dass has started a thing in Maui, the Death Store, (laughs) and they they start a whole center towards um, a new way of looking at death.
0: Oh my gosh! In
2: in an irreverent. Part of it is the irreverent, but also teaching people to celebrate, going back to more Native American traditions.
0: Oh, I love off. Ram Dass. He's one of my favorites. I saw him a couple uh, summers ago in um, Maui. For the first time in person, I saw him, and I just adore him. And he, he, of course, had a stroke. And I believe you said your mother had had a stroke at the same yes. time your father was passing? Yes. Yes. And that's a lot to deal with at one time. Yes. Yes. I, it was
2: over I didn't know about that term until... After uh, my dad, I, anticipatory grief. Which oh. I, I wish I would have known about that particular term because I couldn't figure out why it was so excruciating. Oh,
3: um,
2: but the writing helped.
0: Writing
3: mm.
2: helped quite a bit during that time because I would crack myself up. Even though I'm
0: crying. I'm <laughs> <mess> myself <up. laughs> And what does your mom think about the shows then? Since she's really alive, not you know on the other side it, as of yet. Uh,
2: she loves it. Does she? Well, the show is about a mother-daughter relationship. The mother, uh, uh, the main character, having a really hard time, um, unable to ex- even tell anybody that her mother's passed, and she's cooped up on this plane going back with the ashes. So, <laughs> and, so her mother is also her number one fan, and uh, so that is uh, true in real life. It is
0: true. Your and, mother is so proud of you, so yeah. incredibly proud of yeah. you.
2: So the daughter in this in this play franny has a talent that is just so it's performance art and it's a horrible talent but only a mother <laughs> could love
0: this horrible talent that she has <laughs> oh my gosh okay i'm gonna have to fly to california to see your show because <laughs> i can't wait it's i'm just laughing here in the studio and and i have i think an offbeat sense of humor and i always love it when i meet people who can elicit that from me what's it like to work with mel brooks uh it
2: was incredible because he's um you know, you would think he would be about comedy but he was always and it's about humanity. It's not about the joke, let go of the joke. When I when he picked up the show I was doing in um where was I? In Los Angeles. I was playing I was renting a little theater and putting it up, hoping, you know, I'd written a little you know, my little intention visual, visualization, get a get a big producer. I didn't know Mel Brooks would be it, but it was incredible. <laughs> so When we, when he saw the show, the show was two hours and 20 minutes with an intermission.
0: Oh, my gosh. And long before long. he took
2: it to New York, he wanted it chopped down to 80 minutes, which is like killing everything that you love. <laughs> 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 and so I'd go to his house or go to the, his studio along in Anne in Bancroft. His wife was his wife, and both of them would give me notes, round of notes, and they would always focus more on that humanity. They'd say, "Let go of the joke. Let go of the joke."
0: It's wow! Like,
2: so that was not that the show wasn't really funny, but at the same time, it it was challenging. I remember uh, fighting over
0: certain jokes tough. to get in there,
3: and he's like, "Let it go, <laughs> let it go."
0: And so Anne um, has passed away. And what are some of her not you, Anne, but yeah. um, what what are some of your favorite memories of her?
2: Um probably my favorite is, is just when she came back one, backstage when I right before I opened, and just this was in New York and it had been like a and she at this time had been diagnosed with uh, uterine cancer mm. and um and just that she was there hundred percent so supportive and loving and backstage right before it opened, just saying, No matter what you do, I love and believe in you you know, just beautiful, beautiful soul.
0: Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well I'm having the pleasure of interviewing Ann Randolph. Today, she is an actress, an award-winning playwright, and performer. Um, her multi-character show, Squeezebox, was originally produced by Mel Brooks. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back.
1: and she will answer it in an upcoming edition. Marie also will be speaking and signing books throughout the U.S. in 2013. Find out if she'll be in your area on her events page at energyintuitive.com.
4: Have you been thinking about heading down a healthier path but aren't quite sure where to begin? Marie has a set of DVDs that can help steer you in the right direction with wisdom, insight, and a dash of humor. The Healing From Within series imparts practical tools you can easily use to expand personal health. Marie collaborated with frequent radio guest and naturopath Dr. Sheila dunn to produce four DVDs that include detoxification, heart health, brain health, and hormones. The DVD series can be purchased online at energyintuitive.com or by calling 425-825-5671. So...
3: Brought to you by the Ad Council and the Project.org.
1: Marie is delighted to announce that she will be teaching two interactive workshops at both Hollyhock locations this year. First up is her intuitive health workshop at the beautiful Cortez Island in British Columbia, June 14th through the 19th. This tranquil setting is the perfect backdrop to invigorate your self-healing skills with intuition. November 8th, Through the 10th, Marie will be back at Hollyhock, Vancouver, B.C. location to teach a -a two-and-a-half-day workshop on connecting to guidance. Learn how to open the channels of communication with your guides and tap into vast resources of wisdom. Don't forget to register online at hollyhock.ca. News, traffic, and weather? Now you can get your information fixed weekdays on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m.
0: Welcome back to Marie-Manuel Cherry Show. We're live in Seattle, and we even have our beautiful guest live on the air with us from California. I think you're in California, aren't you, right now? Or I'm oh, an excellent in Big Sur. Oh, that's right. You're teaching a workshop. How yes. exciting. How lovely. Yes. So Anne is an educator, and she has a multitude of writing and performance workshops that emphasize um, transformational writing for healing and crafting a performance monologue and solo show. How exciting. Is that what you're going to be doing when you are in Hollyhock in August? Yes. Oh. Yes. How exciting.
2: I love it. You know, it. It came about just from my own, just seeing how healing it was for me to tell my own story and then just wanting to share that and wanting to invite people. To, it, I think the main because I'm pretty vulnerable and outrageous on stage and I'm pretty exposed, uh, it allows other people to go, the permission, I think, to go to darker places, also places they, they would normally not share. Um and I'm a big cheerleader, encourager of letting the shadow of the dark side come out yeah. and, uh, and as a way then to find, to find that light. And,
0: and so, so that's what you think that as the darkness comes out, that place where we finally allow ourselves to be vulnerable, you know, where we're really uncomfortable and we hide all that stuff, mm-hmm. that within that exposure comes the transformation.
3: Yes.
0: Wow. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more.
2: So and that's. Creating a space for that, and I I, I do really believe doing the show, and it helps so much with that because I don't hide anything in there. And um, people feel, oh, well, she but it gives them permission. And I think that's what people really are are come to a workshop, is to be seen for all of who they are, you mm-hmm. know, and not hide. And mm-hmm. I just love watching what happens like in a five-day workshop at Hollyhock or just here. F when I had students for a month. And wow. they get to see just layer after layer. It, so these beautiful, precious souls, lights, you know, and watching them embrace all all parts of themselves. Wow. It's beautiful. And then to accommodate it for the students to perform or just read their work and then be witnessed, you know, and seen, you know, and heard on such a deep level, it's, it's beautiful.
0: Wow. You're also going to be performing in British Columbia in. Pentecton? Is that how, the name of the town? I
2: don't know how to say the name of the town,
0: but yes, yes. Yeah, so that's June 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. And we apologize to our dear Canadians if we've mispronounced uh, the name.
1: Uh, Pentectonians. Or...
0: Pentectonians, yes, we apologize. <laughs> Sounds like a scientific yes. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful name, actually. It is. I'm sure it's a beautiful town. So what's hollyhock like? Because I hollyhock leave in the morning. the
2: most beautiful place. It's magical. It's beautiful. It's beautiful big i think they're uh in the sequoia family or are they redwood the trees are just wow and it's, it's that almost daylight the whole entire time so you get like a a, a nice dusk even at midnight 11 o'clock at night
0: oh I that means i'm going to be staying up late <laughs> while i'm there right? oh yes. yeah yeah <laughs> which i'm looking forward to no this is great and I heard the food's amazing. The
2: food's amazing. It's vegetarian, and oh well, I think one day they had hamburgers. So I was really happy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's funny. It's vegetarian, and right. the people
2: are wonderful. And uh, it's so secluded. There's an energy. I think uh, there. There's a sacredness. As soon as you get on that island, you'll feel it.
0: Oh, I can't wait. Your energy,
2: wait. for sure. You'll feel the the beauty.
0: Oh, I can't wait. So tell me about the failure and loss that you've learned in your own life, like how it's affected you personally.
2: I always think um, with a a roomie poem, um, he writes about the chickpea being stirred, you know, and the chickpea wants to leap out and the cook hits it with a ladle and says, you're not done yet, you need more flavor, more character. (laughs) And I always see that with, with my writing or with shows that I've had, or I've had so many, you know, uh, for example, I worked in a homeless shelter for for 10 years. Um, The graveyard shift, uh, 7 in the Wow, 9,
0: you 2, are brave. 7
2: in the morning. And I also wow. lived in a mental hospital for four years wow. during my college. Oh, hold on. I'm in somebody's office. <laughs> <laughs> I'm live on a radio interview. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm no phones here in uh, S, I mean, no phones in one. Anyway, Um, I. uh,
0: we were talking about um, taking care of the homeless people, the graveyard shift for, I think you said, for how long?
2: For 10 years.
0: Yeah, that's it's, a really long, you're very brave, although that is one of my favorite um, populations of people. It's where I, I like to provide some generosity when I can. Um,
2: yeah, it's um, its something I, when I was in college, I, I couldn't afford to go to college unless I got a job. So I, I lived, I volunteered to live at a state mental hospital in exchange for writing plays with the. With the patients. Wow! And I fell in love with working with mentally ill, mentally ill, chronic mentally ill people. And um,
0: I'm sure they can be incredible actors. Oh yeah, wow. yeah! And it also
2: gets them out of. I mean, they're hearing a lot. Of, I was mostly working with schizophrenics, and and you hear voice, you know. And so it really took them out of their own world, and and got them to interact in a way that they usually don't interact. Tend to isolate. So. Anyway, long story. So I went to this homeless shelter to, you know, I was always took the graveyard shift so I could have my days free to create and write. And during that time, I would write show after show, and I'd have all these close so many things to a TV series to this or that and just would lose it every time or something or there would be something that it wouldn't go through. And I was financially, I said, well, I'm now in my late 30s at this time. I'm going to be homeless myself.
0: <laughs> you, you can know? just pull up a, a cot right next to the buddies in the shelter, <laughs> yeah, right?
2: I, so I started writing about, you know, and it was yeah, um, just just having, putting your heart and soul in your art and, Loving it and getting rewarded, you know, as far as critical praise, but having to, like, have my own phone number to be the box office, have the reservation line, is, and and just saving enough money to rent a theater, put it up, and then only be able to save $500 maybe every couple months and rent that theater for one night, you know, the struggles to, to be seen and to be heard was, was big for me, and then would get these awards but couldn't get financial, couldn't get off the ground as far as getting it to the next level and so that wore on me tremendously uh and thinking how am I going to ever make it as an artist and so then writing also about I got to the place now at the shelter after 10 years thinking well what if I'm going to be working living at a shelter (laughs) what is the nature of success and progress and really letting go of outcome and realizing I can't really um I can't do anything or have any sort of intent, except to the joy of creating and really let go. I was ambitious and I really let go of that. I mean, of course I still had intention, but I let go of that holding on and gripping so hard to outcome um, that I get this because of this, or I get that because I I let it all go and completely surrendered to just the joy of creating and the fact that I might be at this shelter, you know, Mm -hmm. and that would be enough. Wow. Wow. And then kind of having that surrender moment, things turned around.
0: Wow. It was big. Wow. And and to, to do it in that context, you know, where you really would know what it would be like to be in a shelter. I mm-hmm. mean, because you're there. I'm right there. I'm know. sleeping right there on a cot. For 10 years, I slept on a cot. Wow. At night. At night. So in a way, you were living there when you yeah. think about it. You know, at yeah. least at night you were. And, of course, having to be s- semi-awake so that you could take care of whatever needed to be taken care of as well. Yeah. It's like being on call. Yeah. I, I think that's a profound way to embrace fear. I mean, you've had that this really detailed experience more so than we many other people have had, you know, right in your face. Yeah. And so to be able to surrender in that way is quite profound. W- when you did the surrendering, is that when things started to change?
2: Yes, it, it did. I realized I will, you know, what if I'm just entertained? It did. It really did. And I, I wrote about in that show, I wrote about something I never did because I was living in Hollywood. You would never. Everybody says, "Well, I'm a consultant, or I'm this." If I say I, I work at a homeless shelter, they run the other way. Unless I say <laughs> I'm doing research at a homeless shelter <laughs> to play a role as an actor, then it's a different story. <laughs> but uh, in Hollywood, so I hid what I I did. Right. And then I uh, I let that go too, and I wrote about the same very thing I did not want to write about, which was working there, and and also loss of faith, loss of. What is the nature of success and making it? And I wasn't talking about so much um, as an actor, but in general, what does it mean? What is purpose and what is and how do we get our faith back once we lose it? Because that's where I was—I completely lost faith at wow. that point. And then in writing it, it came back. You wow. know, you write where you want to go or see yourself, and uh, it 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 came back to me. So it was beautiful.
0: You know, a, um, a critic for the L.A. Times wrote about your work and said that in a pair of wickety, hysterical roles, Randolph steals the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, so clearly your talent is recognized um, around the globe. You know, the, the work that you do is beautiful. And, of course, we wish you enormous success in all that you do. Thank you. Yes. And, you know, sold out audiences wherever you go and uh, never having to worry about um, a theater.
2: <laughs> and, no, everything's changed. I mean, that all cha- in 2003, it all changed right. with Mel-, Mel Brooks. It just really, everything, once I let go and surrender, everything just unfolded. Wow. It was a whole other ballgame.
0: Wow. Well, and I'm just saying, for, from now and forever, you know, I, I know that you're doing amazing. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind, but from now and forever that, you know, theater doors just open up for you wherever you are in every part of the globe.
2: I love that. I love that you have that. I can feel the, the goodness in there. I'm like,
0: yeah. So along with um, your teaching, you've also taught at NYU, Ohio University, Wells College, of course, Esalon, where you are right now, Omega, the yoga, um, yoga oasis, and, of course, Hollyhock. Mm-hmm. And so, are you kind of on the road all the time? Is that what it's I'm like these days? I'm on the road days? all the
2: time. Yeah, I feel like a little pipe piper running from city <laughs> to city. Uh, usually, like in a month at a time in a particular area. Well, here yeah, I've been here five weeks, and then I'll go to. Yeah, I go to the East Coast now. Well, I go to, to Connecticut or whatever that town is called. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and then Martha's um, Vineyard in Corolla. And then in my downtime, I've been going to Kauai.
0: Ooh, lovely.
2: So I'm probably there four months out of the year right now.
0: Well, lovely. Yeah. Well, you, you can catch Anne in numerous places. Well, how can people um, reach you? What is your website address? AnneRandolph.com. Beautiful. So you can reach Anne, find out where she's at in your area, go listen and watch her hysterical shows because, as you can tell just from this very quick interview, That Anne is quite funny. We love your humor and, of course, the transformation that you provide to the audience and to your workshop participants, learning to let go and to embrace loss and to celebrate whatever we decide success is so that we can transform into our magnificence. And you will be August 18th through the 23rd at Hollyhock. And I wish you a wonderful run there. I know it will be fantastic. I wish I could be there. I know it will be um, something that I would truly enjoy.
2: Well, if I make it to Seattle, I would love
0: for it. Yeah, I've been there a couple of times
2: performing. Oh, wonderful. Not this show, but another one.
0: So. Oh, well, hopefully we'll run into each other. I know we would have a lot of fun if we did. I think so. <laughs> I know so, yes. Well, thank you, Anne. Have a gorgeous time in Essalon and safe travels with your work. Thank you very much. Alrighty, bye-bye. So we're going to take another break here on the Marie Cherry Show. We'll be right back. We're taking your calls, and we're continuing the conversation of fear.
4: honey mom guess what what i'm pregnant oh my god my baby is gonna have a baby you're gonna be a grandma i'm too young to be a grandma you'll be a
3: young grandma well
4: i've got some grandmotherly advice for you young lady get your cell
0: phone
3: i'm on my cell phone talking to you oh yeah
0: when we're done you have to sign up for text for baby
3: i've only been a mother for an hour what's text for baby
0: mrs williams daughter trinity used text for baby when she was pregnant And she got free text messages every week on what to eat, labor and delivery, appointment reminders, things to keep your baby safe and protected. I'll think about it. what's to think about? It's free. The phone company won't charge you for the messages, and it's easy. Just text BABY to 511411 to get started. I think I'll do it. Good.
3: B A B Y 511411.
4: Yeah.
1: Sign up for Text for Baby today to get free health and safety tips tailored to your baby's due date so you get helpful advice when you need it.
3: Mom, what if it's twins?
1: A message from the Healthy Mothers Healthy Babies Coalition. Do you want to know what heaven is really like? Join Dr. Evan Alexander, author of the New York Times bestseller Proof of Heaven. A Neurosurgeon's Journey into the Afterlife on Friday, June 14th at the Center of Spiritual Living as he shares his transformative experience, its profound lessons, and complete revision of everything he has come to believe about science, consciousness, spirituality, and the very nature of all existence. Visit Marie's events page at energyintuitive.com to register. Like what you hear? Be sure and support the sponsors who support your favorite programs on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM.
0: Hello and welcome back to the Marie Cherry Show. We're back on Seattle time with answering phone calls with, it looks like, a few Seattle people. Hooray, Seattle time. Yay. So who do we have?
1: Uh, Well, I want to say thank you very much for waiting patiently. It's Debbie from Edmonds, of course, of our earlier situation with the phone, and uh, Ann Randolph, but she's still holding patiently. So, Debbie, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. Yes, thank you for holding. What can I do for you?
3: Well, um, I have back pain on my lower right. Side of my back, Mm -hmm. and I don't know if it like it would work in with the show's um, (laughs) (laughs) fear. It could very well. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Well, yes, absolutely, it would. First of all, that's where the second chakra is. It's right in the it's in the pelvic cavity. But when I look at chakras, they turn into cones, and so there's a cone in your lower sacrum spine and then there's one right below the belly button. And these beautiful cones are supposed to spin. You have a nice spin. You have a wobbly spin on the back portion, and you have a a significant leak in the lower back, which would tell me that your pain is chronic. It's been around for a while. Yes. So so yes, it would actually work into fear because the kidneys are also in that abdominal cavity, and the second chakra governs the kidneys. And the There's beautiful adrenal glands on, there's one on top of each kidney, and the adrenal glands are responsible for any fight or flight response. When we have a lot of anxiety or stress or worry, the kidneys fire up to produce um, epinephrine and adrenaline to help us move through a stressful situation. What's funny about Americans in particular is that we act like we're in horrific stress, like we're chasing our food or... We're having to farm huge farmlands. And, of course, some Americans are actually doing that. But that's a very small population of people, really. Um, Even when we're just pouring cereal into our bowl for breakfast in the morning, our brain is going a million miles a minute. And we are worried and stressed about things that haven't even happened. Or we're focusing on things that already happened and there's nothing we can do about them. So the area of concern is a prime area of fear lower back pain is related to fear, when I'm looking at your lower back and I'm seeing the moderate um, release of your life force, so what's what's happening, the reason why the pain in the lower back is chronic is because um, you're not maintaining energy there. You're actually leaking out vital life force instead of absorbing energy into all the beautiful parts, the nucleus and the vertebrae that are there and the muscles and the tissues. You're leaking it out consistently all the time, like 24-7 and what it's telling me is that you overcompromise. You don't say no enough. You say yes way too much. Mm. mm.
3: Okay, well that's
0: really true. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so what I would love for you to do is start practicing the word no. Like <gasps>
1: Don't do it. No, I'm just kidding. I, I have the, a problem with the same thing.
0: But you don't have lower back pain? No,
1: but saying no is going to go right to it.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. I <laughs> love but what you, he, will yeah. if you don't. <laughs> Well, you know, and that's the thing is after mm-hmm. a while if we keep the same pattern, you add decades onto the human body and the human body then goes, uh, "Ouch. You know, this hurts. You haven't been listening to me, so now I'm going to scream at you so your lower back is going, "Debbie, could you just say no? Could you just say no? So here's what you get to do to start to practice this. When you're in the car or the shower or have private time, start speaking out loud the word no over and over and over again. You can sing it. You can tap dance to it. You can yell it. Whatever you want to do. We want your cells. You have trillions of cells in your body. We want some of your cells to start to recognize the vibration of the word no because your cells are so comfortable with yes. It slips out of your mouth before you get an opportunity to really reevaluate. Re- if you want to do whatever someone's asked you to do or not, you just automatically say it Yeah, and you're not right. good at backtracking. You know, you're not good at, Um, remember when I told you I was going to do that for you on Wednesday night? Well, I've changed my mind and I can't do it. You don't do that. You're, you know, you like to be true to your word. And unless it's like there's a real family emergency, you don't <laughs> say no. Um, right. so, so to get your back to heal, even as we're chatting about this, the, amount of energy that's been leaking out of your back has slowed down to about, um, instead of being, let's say, 100% of a leak, we're now at 30%. So just in our conversation, your curiosity, your mind, your consciousness moving into a new realm of why you're having back pain, you've substantially reduced the amount of life force that was leaking out of your back. However, you're going to need to continually... Be curious about this and practice the word no so that we can either maintain the leak that it's at right now or get it to completely stop, which it will if you spend time in, in facing your fear or your discomfort that if you say no, that people aren't going to love you. Because that's the real bottom line why you say yes all the time is you're worried about not being loved. And, and I think that people who really, really love us, really, really love us, they don't care if we say yes or no. They, they love us no matter what, and any of those who aren't going to value or you appreciate you because you're doing something that's in your best interest, those aren't the best people for you to hang out with anyway. Well, I
3: know what that's about. It's about a, a marriage that has um, lived for too long, <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, it's ready to cross over the sandbar, if well, you will. Well,
0: you may say that, but I don't see you leaving your marriage. So Oh, dear. Well, I don't. I mean, have you have you made any plans?
3: Oh, I'm out. I've been oh. out since um, boy February last year. So, so you're divorced.
0: You guys are divorced.
3: Not divorced. <laughs> We're best of friends.
0: Uh huh. And so, so in my mind, you're still married, which is true. You're still married. You're not cohabitating, which is good. This is great. But are you still acting like the wife in this marriage? Mm-
3: not entirely. Um, okay. I. It's more of a brother-sister kind of a relationship. Platonic is what I want to say.
0: Right, but it was platonic for a long time anyway.
3: You're right.
0: <laughs> so, You're right. so here's and, what's happening. Even though okay. you have physically, you, you know, you don't live together, correct?
3: Right. Okay,
0: so even though you don't live together and you're still legally married, which is perfectly fine. People get to figure out how they want to have their family arrangements. That's perfectly fine. I would encourage you to stop being the best friend. And I'm not saying don't be kind to this man. I'm just saying you're still compromising significantly. Oh, you're right. So it, energetically, the marriage hasn't changed because it was platonic to, for a long, long time. So that that was never an issue anyway. But what has been an issue is that you overgive to this relationship as if you are his wife. And I think you need to to stop that immediately and think about your needs and take care of you. Do you see what I mean? I do. Yes.
3: I do. And a really quick thing is that I saw an energy healer. Mm -hmm. um, And she said that the energy on the left side of my body was outside of my body. Does that make
0: any sense? Well, you do have energy outside of your body. Everyone has an auric field, but I think what she was referring to, um, and this is a very wise statement, by the way, is the left-hand side of the body is the receptive side of, of the human body. So energy is more is easier to move into the body when we know how to receive. And people who don't say no and take care of others, even their estranged husband, um, <laughs> they maybe aren't the best at receiving. So Saying no is a form of receiving. It's a form of taking care of yourself. I would love for you to think about your needs first and not think about his needs first. And ah, w- okay. And I wish you a gorgeous day, Debbie. Oh, thank you so much, Good luck. Much, Marie. I think your back will start feeling better. And just keep it up so it can be completely well.
1: Oh, uh, Let's go to Stephanie. She's calling in from Seattle. Let's see if we can help her out. Stephanie, welcome to the Marie Manucherry Show.
0: Hi. Thank you so much for taking my call. Sure, Stephanie.
3: I'm calling because, voice um, oh boy, fear has been a big theme in my whole life. <laughs>
0: sure.
3: um, mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm calling because I have a lot of really big changes that have to happen mm-hmm. at the end of this year. Mm-hmm. And normally I I really get a lot of information intuitively about how things need to change and when. And I just feel really confused <laughs> about when to step in and start making the changes and when to just you know, put the intentions out and see see what comes.
0: Right. Well, one of the things I noticed in your question is you said you have a lot of things that have to happen. Mm, yeah. They have to happen. Um. And, and so that's a fierce statement, actually, because you're mm. basically saying if these don't happen, I'm... Kind of screwed. I, I don't know if I can say that on the air, but uh, yeah, it's it's a clean word. It, Not it's super clean. clean it'll super work clean? for me. Okay, it works. Yay. <laughs> um, no bleeping. So 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 that in itself is a fearful statement. And when you're trying to create out of fear, you're just going to create mm-hmm. more fear. I would love for you to start looking for the fear because I you also accurately did describe the fact that you've been filled with fear for a very long time. It's, mm-hmm. It comes from your family line, a lot of anxiety mm-hmm. from the family. And then, of course, kids just start absorbing the energy that's around them. Right? Mm-hmm. We're learning how to run energy, so why not learn by the people who were, were around? It makes sense. right? And so the, the fear has been there for a very, very long time. And what it's doing is it's keeping you away from your consciousness. And many mm-hmm. times I think the human personality is doing this on purpose because we're so uh, – we're so indifferent to our magnificence. We First of all, we want it, but we don't believe it necessarily. We're mm-hmm. afraid of failure at the same time that we're afraid of success. And so we find ways where we can keep ourselves caged in our fear, in these illusions that really don't exist. Fear truly isn't real. I mean, all mm-hmm. of us have done the one thing that we're scared of most of all, which we, we've already died hundreds of times, sometimes thousands of times, depending on right. how old the soul is. So we've already done all the things that we're most terrified of, So Mm -hmm. fear is truly an illusion. So when it comes to you, which it looks like multiple times a day for you, Mm -hmm. multiple times, if you could have a place of detachment where you say to yourself, oh, if I step into it, if I stay in this anxiety and this over processing, I am limiting my consciousness, I am limiting my consciousness, that could help you to go, oh, I would like to be more conscious, because that's where the answers are, is in consciousness, yes. right? Mm-hmm. That's, yes. where, that's when you know what you need to do to get to the places that are in your best interest. And right. it's very difficult to get to those places when you're in terror. Right. It's almost impossible. Mm-hmm. So I think if you can say something like that to yourself with the word consciousness, it will free you up. It's very different than, oh, I have to get out of this or things aren't going to work out. You know. Right.
3: Yeah there's there's such there they are big changes and I at, at the same time I get really excited about changes good and I want to make the changes and I you know my life has been full of them um so it's interesting like you say because there the fear is there but it it does feel old to me it's very it feels old. very old like yeah. I don't need this this isn't me this is not relevant anymore well,
0: and I would embrace it too because you you've had it in your you know your soul's space if you will Mm -hmm. Um, for all kinds of really good reasons initially, even if that was a thousand years ago, initially (laughs) it was a really good reason. So embrace it or love it or see it as a beautiful child, learning how to ride a bike or Mm -hmm. fly a kite or, you know, Mm -hmm. learn how to hold its breath underwater. And, and then, you know, encourage yourself to become more conscious in that moment to create space between the fear and, um, the awakening. Okay? Okay. Yeah, right. that's great advice. Thank you. You're welcome. Have a gorgeous day. Thank you. You too. Thank you.
1: Yes, thank you very much. We'll try one more caller uh, before we leave. Uh, Shirley from Woodenville is joining us. Welcome to the Marie Cherry Show.
0: Hello
3: there. Hi, well, Shirley. I guess, hi. I guess <laughs> marriage is the topic. <laughs> Lovely.
0: And you are well, still married, though, right? I mean, yes. I mean, this person yes. is, too, energetically for sure, but even legally for sure. Um, so, yes, you're still married. What's your question?
3: Um, I just need some guidance. It seems like this has been the biggest hurdle in my life.
0: <laughs> and I'm so sorry. I really am. But, but here's what I'm getting. First of all, you are a perfectionist. Would you agree? Yes. Okay. You, you have to stop being a perfectionist in your husband's life. You have mm-hmm. to let him screw up. And I guess I can say that word. Yeah, Benny's <laughs> giving me a, a partial nod. You have to let him screw up. You know, okay. I see you following him around with a dustpan. It's a metaphor, you know, and you've got that little dustpan and that little scooper and you're just sweeping up his mess, but then you also have a megaphone and you're also providing instruction. Right. Right? And your instruction is loving and compassionate. I mean, in terms of you can see his magnificence. You know where he could go. You know what I mean? Right, right. And that is a beautiful gift. However, I think if you can step back and just appreciate where he is because maybe he doesn't want to go where you want him to go. Right. Even when he's complaining about whatever's going on in his life, which he likes to complain a little bit. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Right. And so here you are being a great teacher and a wise person and you're offering him wonderful advice. But in truth, he doesn't really appreciate it. It feels to him like you're nagging. Mm -hmm. It it makes him feel separate from you. It doesn't make him want to feel romantic. And Mm -hmm. it makes him uncomfortable. So I think if you can pull back... That's your lesson in this marriage is to value and appreciate him exactly the way he is. I think at that point you'll decide, because you're you're always on the fence about this marriage, you know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. That you'll make a decision about, okay, is this what I I want my marriage to be for the rest of my life, or do I need something else? Or maybe you'll fall madly and deeply in love with um, the real person that's in front of you. Right. So you're going to have to stop nagging him, sorry. Okay. And and that's your fear point. Your fear is you you have this great vision and this wonderful perfection ability to look at life. And that's your fear point. When things aren't moving in that direction, you become uncomfortable and stressed out. And because you're really good at tools and you're smart, you offer people tools. You might as well just help people professionally if you don't in this way and get paid for it and stop bugging your husband. (laughs) I'm not kidding.
3: That's good to know. I I do thrive on that. I love to hear about people's problems.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you might as well, you know, have an audience of people who would love to pay you to help them solve their their problems, versus right. you know your husband who loves you very much. By the way, he loves you. Is dedicated to his family, and right. um, but he doesn't like your nagging. That's what it looks like to him.
3: Right. Right. <laughs> and, and I I sense that as well. So you confirmed everything. So. That's a good way to put a new perspective on it.
0: Yeah, and then go do it all day long professionally for other people who write you a check for it. That'll be way more fun. Yeah, and money. <laughs> and money on top of it. You guys can go out to dinner more, and and he and you can you know he, he'll be so happy that you get to do your beautiful life's work. Let your perfection energy work for you as a career. Right. Yeah. Right.
3: Okay. Thank you so much, Marie.
0: You're welcome. Have a gorgeous day. Woo. Well, we got oh my gosh! It. Yes, we had a little eclipse, I think, in the studio. We
3: stared fear
0: right in the eye. <laughs> it and beat we, us once, oh. twice, actually, twice. Actually,
1: I won't I think keep track. Three times, actually. Don't you keep
0: track? <laughs> yeah. I think the phone went a little beepy a few <laughs> times there. Happens, yeah, it But it was very fun, and yeah. I love talking about fear. Mm-hmm. You know, learning to be embracing the consciousness, when fear comes up for you, I encourage you to do this today. I will be doing this today. I know Benny will be working on this today. We'll be giving our adrenal glands a little bit of a break so that they don't overproduce um, hormones that we don't need because no one is chasing us down the street. And we have beds to sleep in. We're not homeless, and we're not looking for food to shoot. Um, or clobber over the top of the head with a big, heavy thing. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's what the adrenal glands are for when there's real stress, not American perceived fear. And that's not real. So ask for your consciousness. Create space between the anxiety so you can allow the awareness to come in so you can make a great choice. And I wish you a beautiful day. Uh, Many, many joyful blessings, and I will see a whole bunch of fun people. One person's flying in from France and one from Belgium, Um, actually Singapore. Now that I think about it, he's from Belgium, but he's in Singapore right now. I'm at Hollyhock tomorrow, so I'm really looking forward to it. Everyone have a gorgeous day. (laughs) Bye-bye.